0: Hey, welcome Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at all six of our physical campuses and also those of you that are watching online. And as we come out of that video with just a great testimony about community, which we started really talking about last week, gave you an opportunity at the close of our services to join what we called gospel community. And we said, hey, we cannot reach God's best for us without without people around us helping us to move forward in our journey. So, again, just want to encourage you. You've got time today using the Next Step card, uh, after the services, using the chat function if you're online for you to find a a gospel-centered, Bible-centered, small group of people to hang out with, do some life together, encourage one another in the faith. So for our New Year series, we've been in this series called Reframe, and one of the things that we've said is we all have a way of looking at something. So we're looking forward at 2023, and we frame that up. And how we see it is kind of determined maybe on what our past has been like, what our upbringing is like, our culture, uh, things that we take in. And and so what we've been trying to do is learn how God sees certain things or how Jesus saw things when he actually walked among us, and then reframe how we look at things through the lens that God would give us through his word or Jesus would give us uh, through his life. So today, we're going to look at something that I, I promise doesn't get a lot of attention. Uh, in, in fact, if, if you're like me, it's, it can be easily neglected, but it's absolutely crucial and absolutely essential. Now, to set this up, I just want to take a common phrase or a common question, rather, that you probably asked. I get asked it a lot. Hey, how's it going? Well, just like anything, when someone asks how you're doing, how's your life going, how are things going... You look at it through a lens. You look at it through a frame. And that frame can be uh, you know, influenced by a lot of things. It can just be, hey, what is going on in the world? And, and we can kind of absorb some of the, the, the headlines, some of the tragedies, some of the issues going on in the world. And so when we say, how's it going, we sort of look around us in our world or the larger world, and we answer the question. Sometimes when it comes to how's it going, I mean, we live, some of us live on social media And we get caught up in what's viral and what's trending, whether it's in our friend group or our tribe of people that we hang out with. So when we get asked, hey, how's it going? You know, we're heavily influenced by what's happening online and what's happening with the network that I'm a part of. Sometimes it's just, hey, the news. When we watch the news, how's it going? And you feel like the world's falling apart, the country's falling apart, or your community's falling apart. So how's it going? And we look there at the news. And then for a lot of us, when we say, how's it going, it's about the people around us. You know, our relationship, who we do life together. Maybe it's our family, the people we work with, our friend group. And so when we get asked the question, hey, how's it going, we see it really through a relational lens and, and a relational perspective. But in all likelihood, <clears throat> for most of us, there's something missing. And, and when you get asked, how's it going, there's something missing that really impacts how it really is going, more than you and I are aware, and more than you and I want to admit. And and this, what we're going to talk about today is so easily neglected. When you listen to Dr. Phil, he's not going to talk about this, okay? When when you think about your life, he's not going to talk about it, but it is absolutely essential and and critical. And it, it sort of reminds me of this, Okay. Um, if you know me, you know sometimes I have like some back trouble, and, and I go to a chiropractor, and he's kind enough to treat me. And 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 some of the issues are I spend a lot of time reading and praying and studying because this is you know this is what I do, right? And, and but one time I was like, hey, what's driving a lot of this? And he started talking about. He goes, hey, tell me how you used to work out when you worked out a lot, right? And I don't know about you, but I was a bench press guy. I mean, I, I could bench a lot for my size and my body type, and I love to work bench press, love to work my chest. And he goes, that's what I thought. And I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, you overworked these muscles, and you neglected your back muscles, so you have muscular imbalances, and sitting and reading and posture of prayer, all that kind of stuff, it just all works against you. So basically what he's saying is, hey, Matt, there was something missing in your workout plan. And you neglected a major muscle group, and you're paying for it now. And what we're going to talk about today, which is the key part of answering this question the right way and the best way, is something that's easily missed and definitely easily neglected. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 3 John. It is the second to last book of the Bible, so if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. You can also turn your Bibles on. You're also welcome to follow with me. We're actually going to teach through this whole book. It's one chapter. It's really short. It's a letter written to someone, and he's going to talk about this missing piece that is critical to how we answer. Hey, how's it really going in your life? Verse 1 3 John. It is a letter, and we're going to get our main point from the introduction. Here's what he says He says, The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. I highlight the word truth because truth is really important to John in all of his writings. Comes up about 37, 36, 37 times, six times in this 14 sentence or 14 verse letter, he's going to mention truth. When he talks about truth, he is talking about the truth of God, the truth of scripture, the truth that emanates from, comes from, sourced by Jesus Christ. So John is very truth-centered, and we'll swing back and pick that up, but I want to highlight it in an introduction. And then here's where here's the missing piece where he's going to bring it out. He says, "Listen, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way." Now that sounds very like us, right? Hey, how's it going? Well, my world's pretty good, the news is pretty good, social media's good friend. Me. Hey, I'm prospering in every way, and I pray that you're in good health. A lot of us, the answer to the how's it going question is how's my body? How's my health? How am I feeling? How are the people closest to me doing when it comes to their health? But then he says this, just as your soul prospers. He says, just as your soul prospers. Now, if you're like me, and I'm willing to guess most of you are, when someone asks you how's it going, you don't think about your soul. You think about, you know, your everyday, everyday life. You think about your health, you think about critical relationships, you think about what's trending in the news or what's going on in the world around you, but we don't think about our soul. Now, now look at how this is written. It's so incredible, it's so amazing. He's saying, listen, your, your health, I want your health, your bodily health, your physically, physical health to match your soul health. I want you to prosper in every facet of your life just as your soul prospers. Now, for, for us, we, we sort of kind of have it backwards. We're not, we don't feel like we're doing good if health is not good or if money's not good or relationships aren't good. But the biblical author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, hey, if you're going to start with how's it going, you need to start with your soul and then work from there. So he tells us a couple of things, and, and, and we draw a couple of insights from that. The first one is this. <coughs> we have a soul, and it's usually important that we understand we have a soul. It's invisible, it's immaterial, and your soul is kind of hard to describe, but it integrates all of who you are together. It's sort of like, you know, I don't know if you read this, but we had a, the United States went through a major flight cancellation over the holidays, and all these flights got canceled. Some of you are probably affected by it. Well, this database called NOTAMs, Notice to Air Missions, went down. And so all this stuff is operating in the background. Suddenly it goes away, and we can't fly airplanes, right? So your soul is like that operating system that runs in the background but impacts everything. Your soul is the part of you that gets excited when you hear whatever band or whatever song was popular your senior year in high school, right? Whenever that comes on the radio, you're like, wow, happens to me. You know, I'm an 80s guy. When the 80s on 8, baby, right? I mean, when it's something that comes on, my, my soul just sort of goes crazy. Your soul is the part of you that, writer, that songwriters and poets and philosophers speak to. When you think about memorable speeches, such as Martin Luther King Jr., and we just celebrated that holiday when he gave his I Have a Dream speech, it spoke not only to the world around us in America in the 1960s, but it spoke to conditions of the soul. And so the soul is something that God is very interested in. So we all have a soul, okay? We're greater than a body. We're greater than just some chemicals, bones, muscles, and organs. We have a soul. And the soul has a condition. The soul has a condition, a condition that literally impacts and and influences everything. And the soul's condition should be our number one priority. It's often not, but it should be. Now, this is the way Jesus said it. This is how Jesus looked at things. And we're trying to reframe, remember, how did Jesus see it? He says, hey, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now, what he means by that is when you think you're winning in the world, and for us that would probably be something like money and popularity, career, success, whatever your career is. It could be my whole world is what's happening online. But what, Jesus says, what good would for all of that stuff to be going well, for you to be prospering in all the ways the world says you need to prosper and forfeit, lose, neglect your soul? Now, here's the the remarkable thing that I'm praying that we all embrace this weekend, okay? We can control the condition of our soul. Now, you can't outsource it, but you can control it. Because that's what he says. This author, the elder, said to Gaius, Agaius, excuse me. he said, look, your soul prospers. I'm just praying everything else matches your soul. But is it not true? You can't always control whether your health is good, can you? Sometimes your health gets taken from you and you had nothing to do with it. You exercise, you ate pretty good, right? But something happened, right? You can't always control what goes on in the news, what goes on around you. You can't control what other people do. And, and, but your soul is yours and my responsibility. Your soul is the most important part, and you and I can control the condition of our soul. The challenge is nowhere in the planet, save the Word of God, does anybody ever talk to us about how to nurture and keep our soul healthy. Well, Third John gives us some pointers and gives us some insights. (coughs) And what we're going to see unfold here is there's three needs of every soul. The soul needs focus. The soul has to have true north. The soul is designed to align on something or something. The soul needs focus. The soul is made for transcendence, Transcendence is something way bigger than Matt Evans. So Matt Evans' soul needs something bigger than Matt Evans to look at and live for and focus on. Your soul is the same way. I sometimes say when we're hungry for trans... So your soul needs to, is designed to stand in worship or designed to stand in awe of something bigger than you. And, and here's the crazy one. Because your soul is that integrator, because your soul is that part of you that brings everything together, your soul needs some silence and stillness and space to kind of align and and, and orient itself. Now, again, it's hard to be silent. It's hard to be alone. But that's something your soul thrives on. And so we're going to kind of unpack that, and we're going to look at that. But what I'm going to share with you today will be four elements of a prosperous soul— four elements of a prosperous soul and we're going to get this all from this incredible small little letter of third John. <coughs> the letter continues. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth. There's that word again, truth. How you are walking in truth, truth and you're aligned with truth, I have no greater joy than this. Nothing makes me happier than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So how's it going? I'm walking in the truth. How's it going? My soul is focused on and aligned with what I'll call transcendent truth. Transcendent truth. Now let me tell you what I mean by transcendent truth, because there's all kinds of temporary truths. Temporary truths are, hey, the world is a mess, or my world is a mess. Temporary truths are, what went, what's trending today on social media might be forgotten tomorrow. And what we tend to do is we tend to focus on temporary truths and get all worked out about, did you hear about, what about, what about. And we forget the transcendent truth, the transcendent truth of who we are in Christ, the transcendent truth of what Jesus has done for us, the transcendent truth that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world because you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the transcendent truth that the best is always yet to come as long as I'm following Jesus. And so what happens is when we get faced with a temporary truth, that begins to overshadow transcendent truth. But the prosperous soul is going to walk in truth. The prosperous soul is always going to ask, how does Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, impact what I'm going through? How does it shed light on what I'm dealing with? How does it define who I am? So our soul is made to align to something. Your soul is going to fixate on something. Your soul is going to focus on something. Why not transcend the truth? This is sort of what Paul is alluding to when he says this incredible uh, statement. He goes, I count everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This means overtaking. So it's like <coughs> my soul is focused here. I see Christ, and the value of Christ becomes dominant, and I fixate and focus on Christ. That's more important than anything. And so your soul has to align. Now, what, what are some obstacles to this? Here's, here's a few that I came up with. One, I think a lot of us are given a wrong scoreboard. Your scoreboard is what you look at to tell you if you're winning. All of us have a definition of success. Some of us were given that definition by our culture, by our family, by virtue of the fact that we were born in the United States. All of us have a definition of success. And that tends to be how we look at things when we ask, hey, how's it going? Well, I look at my scoreboard. Our scoreboard as followers of Christ, our scoreboard as people with a soul should be to look at our soul and see how our soul is connecting, relating, or as Jesus said, abiding in the truth of Jesus Christ. Some of us suffer from severe cases of identity theft, <coughs> that we've chosen to base our identity on achievement. We've but chosen to base our identity on possessions. We've chosen to base our identity on what people think about us. All of those identities are very, very fragile and very, very temporary, and they will cause us incredible pain. Why is it when we we suffer identity crisis when we lose our jobs or we don't know what to do next? Why is it we suffer identity crisis when we compare ourselves to what other people have with what we don't have? Why is it we put so much stock in what people said about us or what people think about us? What if we just understood ourselves as, hey, you are a body that has a soul, and that soul is made to have fellowship with the Most High God? (coughs) <coughs> superficial spirituality superficial spirituality it's prominent in the Bible Belt superficial spirituality is hey I'm going to make the cut when I die right alright then I'm good right and we never want to go past that point of understanding what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit at the level of our soul so a lot of us operate from a false peace that don't rock the boat peace and here, here's, where, here's where God gets us okay Jesus comes to disrupt false peace so he can bring true peace to the soul. So if your peace is built on your circumstances, your identity is built on something temporary, <coughs> Excuse me. don't be surprised if God allows that to be jostled so he can bring you to true peace. <coughs> and then we have a constant culture of distraction, so it's hard for our soul to be still and orient back to true north. Now, he continues on and starts talking more things about the prosperous soul. He says, Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. So what happened is some missionaries came to Gaius' church, and Gaius took care of them. The church loved them. They didn't even know them. They were strangers. (coughs) They supported them, they helped them live sin. He continues, and he says, you do very well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, for the name of Christ. They accepted nothing from the pagans, therefore we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. So these people come, and they get supported. They get loved. They get financial, they get financial support, prayer support, encouragement. And it indicates something about the soul condition when we can truly make space and make ourselves available to other people, even strangers. So the prosperous soul, here's the implication, the prosperous soul is unhurried, unhurried. We live in a a culture that encourages all to be hurried, so we're never really present with anybody. We're never really to give, able to give our love, the love that's in us or the time and the attention that we can give. We're never able to do that for anybody. Now, let, let, let's make a distinction, okay? Busy is about my schedule. Hurried is about my soul. You can be busy and still be unhurried. So let, let's draw some distinctions. Being hurried means I am unable to be fully present. I am unable to be fully present. Being hurried means I am preoccupied with myself and my life. So if strangers came into my world, I would have no time to give them love or to give them support, etc. Right? If If I'm hurried, I am unavailable to God and I am spiritually drained. I would submit to you there is a high percentage of people listening to me and one of your problems, and you haven't diagnosed it yet, you're like, why do I feel this way? Why do I snap? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that came out of me. I can't believe my wife and I seem to always be arguing, always be disagreeing. You have a hurried soul. You have a hurried soul. And it's not designed to be hurried. It's not designed to be bouncing around through all these things. It's designed to be at a pace that can commune with God and be available to other people. And so, the prosperous soul is always gonna overflow with love, and that's what we see Gaius and his church doing for these stranger mission, strangers who are missionaries who come and ask for support. It overflows with love, and, and, and you can't love someone unless you're concerned about their eternity. cannot love someone completely and fully unless you're concerned about their eternity, so he's loving these strangers and buying in to their mission, as we say at Rockbridge, of living sent, so they're going out and sharing the gospel with people. Uh, That's a huge part of our budget. We're going to announce our mission trips here in the next couple of weeks. It's a huge part of what we do because you can't love someone unless you're concerned with their eternity. But when we look at our soul, the question becomes, is it overflowing with love to others? At this point, there's a couple of diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves. And you may have to ask some people close to you. You may have to ask your small group, your gospel community. You may have to ask your family. But there's a question that I, there's two questions that, that I think help us understand, how is my soul really doing? First question is this, what's coming out of me? What's coming out of me? And how is what's coming out of me affecting those around me? What is coming out of me? And, and you've got to have some humility to ask that question. But God has designed us for our souls to draw sustenance, if you will, love, if you will, from him. And then that's what overflows to other people. So if what other people are getting from me is cynicism, bitterness, anger, frustration, suspicion, etc., toxicity, and i got to be less angry. First, you need to pay attention to your soul. I I need to be less frustrated. First, you should pay attention to your soul. Why am I so cynical? Have you given attention to your soul? It all starts there. Anything else, listen, is mowing weeds. You know what happens when you mow weeds? They come back because you hadn't touched the root. You hadn't gotten to the soul of how it's really going. The next next question comes out of a, a bad example. So, The church isn't perfect, never has been. So there's people in the church who do bad things, okay? Nothing's changed. This was written about 90 A.D. Here we go. I wrote something to the church, but Datrophyses loves to have first place. He loves to be number one. He's a self-promoter. He loves to have first place among them. He does not receive our authority. He's not humble. He's not submissive. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with his malicious words. What's coming out of diatrophies? Slander, self-promotion, what about me? What about my deal? How can I advance? And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Now, this is what I mean by that question, what's coming out of me. Jesus said it this way, from the heart Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So if I don't address the inside me, what's coming out of me will not be changed or will be not, not, be, not be dealt with. You know, what we're told, right, is, hey, just stop slandering. Stop lying. Stop being sexually promiscuous. And we're like, okay, and we try hard. And we grit it out. But if we don't touch the heart, if we don't touch this missing piece, our soul, we're mowing weeds. We're mowing weeds. So he takes that. Third, so the, the elder who's writing this, or John, the elder who's writing this, takes this bad example, and then he turns it. He says, dear friend, he says, wh- whose soul is prospering, he says, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. The one who does good is God. The one who does evil has not seen God. And he says, listen, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. So he takes someone whose soul is prospering. That's the genesis of the whole letter. Gaius, your soul is prospering. I know it by how you're loving people. I know it by what's coming out of you. You're unhurried. You're able to be fully present with people. And he still gives Gaius a warning. He still gives Gaius encouragement and truth because you got to be vigilant. If your soul is healthy today, it doesn't mean it will be healthy next week because life is hard on the soul. Life distracts the soul. Life will put the soul at a pace that is not sustainable. So there's a second question that emerges from this encouragement and warning that comes out here toward the end of the letter. And the question is, hey, how am I responding to the truth? How am I responding to truth from God's Word? Truth about Jesus Christ. Truth that I need to pay attention to. Am I complacent? Meh. Right? Right? Am I defensive? And let me tell you something I'm learning. Even your worst critic might have a kernel of truth. Am I humble? do Do I understand my soul has to be vigilantly guarded and constantly maintained? Just like your physical health, your financial health. Your soul is the same way. So part of that is, 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 am I responding to truth? Am I realigning my soul on truth? Am I showing my soul the excellency, the majesty, the glory, and the beauty of Jesus Christ? Am I submitting my soul to teaching? Am I around truth? And how is my truth intake? Now, if, if we're, if we're, let's pretend like we're here today. Okay, I need to pay attention to my soul. Matt, if you were to say Matt from God's Word and, 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 and some principles that derive from God's Word, what would you recommend? If we're going to pay attention to our soul in 2023, if our soul is kind of the missing piece, when someone says, how's it going, what we really need to think, especially if it's our spouses and our small group, when someone says, well, how's it going, I'm going to think about my soul first because that, everything flows from there. Everything flows from there. If my soul is not right, very quickly, everything else will not be right. So, if we're to do that, what would would I say? What would God's Word say? How do we work on having a healthy soul? I want to read a quote to you from kind of a discipleship mentor of mine. His name is Dallas Willard. He says this You need to arrange your days so that you experience total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Arrange your days. So that you can experience what Jesus makes available. Total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. From there, I just want to give a couple of suggestions. First one is this. I need to consistently give my soul space. Now, there's four S's. Silence, solitude, stillness, and Sabbath. Silence, solitude, stillness, and Sabbath. When is the last time you can just ask answer this question on your own? When is the last time you actually paid attention to your soul, actually sat still, and pondered truth? Deep, biblical, rich truth. See, again, a lot of churches want to just go a hundred percent toward felt needs, talk about current events, talk all they want to talk about is struggles you're going through in your everyday life. At times, the church has to stop and just exalt Jesus and show Christ and say, Listen, it doesn't matter how bad your world is, how bad your marriage is. Your soul needs to look at Jesus Christ, stand in awe of Christ, have communion with Christ, and then go out and live for Christ. Transcendence. But to do that, we have to slow down long enough and get our eyes off ourselves, get our eyes off our newsreel and our headlines, And look at Christ. The only way you can do that is to be still and know that he's God. Now, here's my encouragement. Start small. Set a timer if you have to. 30 seconds of quiet. Put something in your mind like Christ. And just say that over and over. Read a verse over and over. Put truth before your mind. 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. But you have to learn to give. If you are too busy to do that, then it's going to show up in a train wreck of some sort. Okay? So consistently giving my soul space. Daily fixing my attention on transcendent truth. And I've got this down here. Until I overflow. Okay? Now here's what I mean. When you start taking care of your soul, you got to show your soul and give your attention to transcendent truth until what comes out of you is some form of divine peace or joy or hope, okay? So the old adage of, hey, did you read your Bible? Yes, got to go deeper than that. You need to read your Bible, spend your time with God, fixate on transcendent truth until His peace, His joy, His love become your peace, your joy, and your love. And I'm going to say this. Sometimes that's five minutes. Sometimes it's longer than that. George Muller, who's the famous British man who uh, had these orphanages, never took money, never went into debt, God miraculously provided. Here's how he said it. I pray and read the Bible until I become happy in God for that day. I can't do anything else until I'm happy in God. And that's what we're talking about. Is until my soul can overflow. How do you know if your soul is overflowing with love, joy, and peace? How are you affecting people around you? If they're getting the shrapnel of your negativity, you got to come back here till you overflow. All right? I would also suggest frequently being in community that has what I'll call soulful interactions. Your soul needs help. Your soul needs community. The first not good is Adam was alone, okay? Listen to how 3 John ends. It's incredible. Here's how it ends. I got many more things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink because I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face-to-face. I'm going to get in front of you, and we're going to fellowship, and we're going to have communion, and we're going to talk about how your soul's doing and how my soul's doing because that's the whole basis of the letter. Peace to you, and the friends send greetings. Greet the friends by name. Be spiritually known. Be known at the soul level, okay? So your soul needs community. You know, in a few minutes when we close, your campus pastors are going to come up, and they're going to talk about that and how you can take steps in that direction because we want to grow as a church in in enabling us to have these meaningful, soulful conversations in gospel community. But there's one-fourth component of a prosperous soul, and and it might be the most important. The prosperous soul has a keeper, has a center, and has a future. Prosperous soul has a, has, a, has a keeper. Your soul needs a keeper. Your soul has to be centered. And your soul needs a future. There's only one person qualified to be keeper, center, and future. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, holy of holies, very presence of God, where our forerunner, the one who went before us, Jesus, has entered On our behalf. Jesus alone is qualified to be the center, the keeper, and the future that our soul needs. Does your soul have Jesus today? If not, you can give it to him with one act of faith, with one step of faith. If your soul has drifted or you have backslidden, you will always find Jesus' arms open to you. I pray that we would end our services with our souls being kept by Jesus, centered upon Jesus, anchored in Jesus, knowing that when he has our soul, it'll prosper, and the best is yet to come. Let me pray, and then you'll hear from your campus pastors. God, I thank you for everybody here. We want to give you a little bit of space, God. We want to give you some attention, God. God, we want to take that part of us that we've been taught and trained to ignore and neglect and fix it upon you, anchor our souls in you, and ask you, God, to be our keeper, to be our center, and to be our future. God, I pray you'd have your way in every soul here today. Have your way, God, in every soul here today. Thank you, Jesus, for being a worthy anchor for the souls that you have created, the souls that you have died for, and the souls that you invite to center upon you. We pray this in your holy, awesome, and incredible name. Amen.